Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Coming at you on a Monday this week, so we'll have to uh, trade Ian and Haley future considerations for that. Uh, but it's prospect season here and we got a lot to discuss. We got the Corey's uh, impressions from the Helenka Gretzky tournament. Uh, he, he's going to stay in Alberta through the World Juniors. Uh, but first we're going to start today... Uh, with some news on the NHL side, which is Jonathan Huberdeau coming off of that trade uh, to the Calgary Flames as part of the deal for Matthew Kachuk, signing a extension with the Flames. Eight times ten and a half is the number. Corey, I wonder what your first reaction to this one was. It, it seemed like it was the exact offer that they gave Johnny Gaudreau, and they just basically just cop, you know, erased the name, put a new name on, on onto the contract offer, and gave it to Huberdeau. Which, honestly, if that is what they did, I, I don't see a big problem with that. I think they're very similar profile of players. Uh, you know, Gaudreau, I think I ended up putting him higher on my heart belt last year, but they were both a consideration for it. And I think, uh, I don't, if, if that is what they did, I, I think that's two perfectly reasonable players to do something like that with. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and now you, I think that was the one thing we thought when everyone saw that trade happen is what, what can they get? Either Uyghur or Ed, particularly Jonathan Huberto, extended, and I thought they had a good, at least a decent chance of getting one of them. Both Canadian players uh, who have who have played in Canada before when when they were junior players. Huberto, in particular, was a, a junior star when he was with the St. John Sea Dogs, uh, and, and they get the deal done, and and now they have a core piece, and now this team looks like they're a contender again. Like I, I don't see. I've looked at seen. I've seen some of the preseason odds and. And predictions. I don't see why the Calgary Flames aren't a Stanley Cup contender right now. I think the question is, you you obviously reshuffle a little bit, right? So you go from having what I thought was one of the certainly two or three best lines in hockey last year. You put Jonathan Huberto in Gaudreau's spot. You're still without Matthew Kachuk. And you kind of reshuffle that piece in Wegar onto the back end. Um, and what I wonder is, is was that really the area that the Flames needed to bolster? I, I looked at that Flames team. Yeah, I think they could have added a little more on the blue line. But I do think, was that the area that they needed the help more than any other? And that's a perfectly fair point. They're probably going to need some supplemental offense coming from within. Uh, Jacob Pelche was excellent in the American League last year, scoring on your point per game pace, being a big part of why that Stockton team was one of the best teams in the American League. If he can come up, 
and help that Tim Connors there. He's probably about another year or so away. He's not going to replace Matthew Kachuk by any means, but it's maybe some supplemental offense. You're right. You know, you look at that blue line that have offensive puck movers. They have, you know, Rasmus Anderson, uh, you know, back there. They, they have, you know, Shillington, Shillington Noah Hannafin's a skilled defenseman. I would argue Weger probably is out, if not above some of those guys in terms of that aspect of the game. But yeah, there's a little bit of redundancy, but he's still an excellent hockey player. And Kachuk is probably better than him, but I think you can easy, reasonably argue that, uh, you know, obviously Huberto and, and Weger will provide more value than Kachuk. But the issue is that you lost Kachuk and Gaudreau, so we'll see whether there's a, a fall off in terms of the offense or the power play. Yeah, I mean, when we when we looked at this trade at the beginning, it was the the overall value that they had gotten right in exchange for Kachuk. And at this point, if if you wanted to, if you were the Flames. They just got Shillington's deal done as well. You could try to make a hockey deal around Mackenzie Wegar and, and make that for offense. Or you could wait until this, the year gets going and see what you can do. Um, at the end of the day, you know, look, if, if you're going to say a lot of our offense is going to come from the blue line, you could probably make that work too. But I just think when I look at the Flames team right now, that's the hole I'm looking at. I'm sure Dylan Dubé, Andrew Mangiapane, if he can follow up the year sure. that he just had, like, you know, those are guys that they will look to to, to accomplish that. Um, but at some point, I think to to really be a threat, you know, we saw them get dragged into a series with with Dallas that it was way closer than I felt like we thought it was going to be, partly because they, they couldn't score on Jake Ottinger. And part of that's Jake Ottinger, but, but part of that has to be Calgary as well. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice if Sean Monaghan could, you know, be yeah, back a little bit. We'll, that'd be we'll, huge. We'll see on that front. Full year Tyler Toffoli will, will help too. So it's, yeah, it's not the same offense, but I still think this is an excellent offense to go with an uh, one of the best blue lines, I'd argue, in the NHL, and a good starting goaltender in Jacob Markstrom. How would you handicap the top of the Pacific right now between Calgary, Edmonton, and, and LA? I would think would probably be the top three. Uh, Vegas, probably. In the yeah, Vegas. Two. Yep. I would say, I think, I think it's Edmonton's division. What, what do you think? I would agree. I mean, I, I, I we did our preseason predictions. I, I threw a dart and I, I put took Edmonton to win the cup next year. I don't know how that's going to age, but. I think I had them in my predictions. I think I had them in the final too. I don't know if I had them to win. I think I had them in the final though. Yeah, so that, that's I, that's my feeling. I know there's a lot of buzz right now for LA, and, and for good reason. You know, they they took a big step last year and, and went out and did even more this summer. Um, but I I would tend to agree on Edmonton. We're going to be touching on this in the coming weeks when we get to the pipeline rankings. But I think a big reason why I'm I'm high on on Edmonton is I think there's some good young defensemen coming. I think you look at how Evan Bouchard is progressing there. I think he's going to be a really big part of that team and a really important player going forward. And, and I think Philip Roberg is going to make that team, and I, and I could see him being a good part of that team. So now you have this this really dynamic offense, and you've got these these blue liners coming too. Obviously, the goalie is was the question, and if Jack Campbell is just, just decent, I think, I think it's a hell of a team. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think that goaltending is, is the key. I don't think it was the reason that they didn't get there this year, but um, Mike Smith actually had some really strong moments on that run too. I know everyone remembers the, sure. the tougher ones, but um, you know, and we'll also see like if, if, you know, if Broberg and Bouchard can take, really take that step, then all of a sudden it is a really well-rounded team. All right, let's go uh, right now into the Halinka uh, tournament, which the story of the tournament is, is no secret team Canada more or less steamrolled everybody uh, you know, th- through the first several games, I think the number was something like 30 to two that they were outscoring their opponents by. 
just a dominant performance as, as you expect from Team Canada this kind of tournament. But um, let's zoom in on them as a whole right now, Corey. Obviously, a ton of these guys were on your early 2023 list. Who elevated their stock for you at the tournament on Team Canada? Going into Team Canada, I, I don't know if there was one guy that in particular stood out. It wasn't the kind of tournament where you saw Nathan McKinnon or an Alexis Lafreniere or just somebody just steal the show on this team and be the clear go-to guy. I thought it was just a very well-rounded group, four solid lines, seven good defensemen that can all play and you know move the pucks and, and compete hard. And There was a lot to like in general from this team. There was a few players that I would single out, though, as the ones that I thought were the most impressive. Not surprisingly, Zach Benson, I, th- I thought, looked excellent. He came in, though, expecting him to be excellent. So that wasn't overly surprising. Uh, same thing for, for Cam Allen, who, even though he was the leading scorer among defensemen in the tournament, I didn't think he was as dynamic offensively as I thought he'd be, but he was arguably better defensively than I thought he'd be, too. He was looked like a very good all-around defenseman uh, and, the I thought, the clear best defense prospect in the tournament. Brayden Yeager uh, was was excellent, and if you wanted to argue for, from one guy who might have elevated stock a little bit among the top guys, it would probably have been Jaeger in the in the medal round games. He seemed like he was the go to guy, playing all situations, uh, really driving the play at even strength. Looks like a very well rounded centerman, minus the the five eleven frame. Competes hard, has great pace, has skill. He can make and finish plays. Uh, so he was very impressive too. And one guy who I didn't have on the initial list, who I might have if we redid that list, would be Ethan Gauthier uh, from Sherbrooke, who was a part of the top that great top line with Jaeger and Benson, was on the top power play. Uh, I didn't have him on the initial list because he's not that big and not that fast, but I loved his skill and I loved his compete at that tournament. Uh, scored five goals in the tournament, and, and overall I thought he, he was very impressive. So I don't know that you would have – this is something you would have keyed into or not. Did you – was there a roster there that – what did they list Cameron Allen's height at at this tournament? He was around – he was at like I think 5'11 to 6'0 I think. So that's what I've seen. I've seen him listed at 5'11 too. And when I was watching – it's just on TV for me. But I was thinking this guy looks – he's playing certainly bigger than 5'11. I thought that was really important to the point that you're making about his defending. You know, you, you, you kind of go in, you're, you're looking at a 5'11 defenseman expecting one thing. And you see what – you know, the, he played a really, I thought, physical game, a good yes. two-way game. And I, I to me, I thought he was one of my bigger takeaways just from afar – in that I was wondering, are we going to find out that he actually he grew two inches over the summer and he's six foot one because he's playing a much more intimidating game now? I think he got measured there, so I do think the the, the measurements was accurate. But yeah, no, he was one of the most physical players uh, at the tournament. He was looked very good defensively because of his high compete level, because he's a good skater. Whether he could be that good defensively versus men in the NHL is going to be a question because of his height. But I think as of now, I'm projecting him to be an excellent two-way defenseman as a pro. It's interesting. I mean, we're, we're going to kind of skip over a little bit in, in the order here, but it's a natural segue. He's a guy right now who looks like he is heads and shoulders above potentially the, the next D prospect or or pretty close to that. You know, the, there is not the quite the same level as we've seen in, in some of these recent years of, of a collection of top D here. It, it is kind of Cameron Allen in the field a little bit. Is that fair? The one guy who would be close wasn't at the tournament, and his name, it's Mikhail Gulyayev, 
who actually was one of the top defensemen in the previous Holinka mm. for, for Team Russia. He was He's playing in the KHL preseason right now due to his nationality, though, and, and not being able to play international hockey. We'll see where he ultimately slots uh, when we get to the end of the season. I think the Russians in general are going to be even tougher to slot this year than they were last year because we're not going to get any international hockey from, from them at the U18 or the U20 level in this upcoming hockey season. But he beat the guys closest. But yeah, you know, looking around the Holinka, there wasn't a whole lot other than Allen got you really excited from a blue line perspective. And there aren't, there weren't any obvious late birth dates that weren't here either. They said, oh yeah, well, he's, he's there with him too. So yes, it, I'm sure guys will emerge. Scouts will quick to point out Pavel Minchikov wasn't really on the radar this time last year. Pickering wasn't really on the radar this time last year. Kevin Korchinski shot up. So I'm sure there'll be some guys who emerge, but as of now, it does look like it's Cam Allen and to an extent, Gulyayev's defense field, and neither of them are big guys too. And you you have to wonder kind of how does that scarcity ultimately come into play when, when you're when you're drafting? You know, you might have a guy. I think you had Allen eighth or ninth on your preliminary pre Holinka board. Yeah. Uh, you know, his history would say he's going top five if he's the right. number one defenseman in this class. Yes. And and does the scarcity prop that up even more? I think it's really interesting. So uh, it's that's something to watch as the year plays out. But let's get to the rest of the Holinka field here because. You know, there were at least I think every team had one really high level prospect on it, uh, possibly except the Americans, although I know they had Quentin Musty, uh, you know, going yeah. in. It was a pretty highly regarded player. Uh, you know, Finland had Kasper Haltunen. Sweden had Otto Stenberg. Uh, the Czech, uh, Czechia had uh, Edward Schala. Who, who really caught your attention uh, at this tournament? The, the rest of the crop, the non-Canadians. Right. Shala looks like he's going to be a top prospect in this year's draft. I don't think he had an amazing tournament, but you just see a guy with his size, his skating. He has, makes really skilled plays. He can shoot it. He can he can pass the puck really well. The compete level was just okay, I thought, at this tournament, but but he clearly has the tools of a top prospect. I think he, you know, he's a guy you think is going to go in the upper half of the first round if, if you did the, if you have the draft right now. Uh, Haltunen... Uh, kind of laid an egg at this tournament. He was probably my biggest disappointment in the tournament after he was so good as an underage uh, last season, both in his, with his club play and with Finland's U18 team. He just didn't really get much done. He's a goal scorer. He only scored one goal at the tournament. Uh, didn't really make many plays either. His skating looked okay. His compete looked just okay. Took some bad penalties. Like just he was just it just was a really tough week for him. Uh, Quinton Musty for the Americans you mentioned. He came in with a, with a first-round rating from Central Scouting. Uh, I think he actually left there without that first-round rating from Central Scouting to kind of speak to how his tournament went, uh, where I thought he, like kind of like Hal Tunin, he struggled for the same reasons. Not a lot of pace or, or energy in his game, even though he's big and skilled. Uh, just seemed to just – it never seemed to click for him. A lot, a lot of turnovers, a lot, a, lot, a lot of plays dying on his stick. Uh, I think he's a good prospect. I think he's better than what he showed there. But honestly, I thought Andrew Strathman looked like the like the best USA prospect at that tournament. Who will, will be playing in the in the USHL this season for Youngstown? And then Sweden with Stenberg. I mean, that was a team. You know, they, they've had a lot of the, the guys out of Sweden this year. Uh, you know, there's an overager, Leo Carlson. Delbor Dvorsky is Slovak, but he'll be playing in Sweden this year. Uh, you know, really, those may be the first two guys out of Sweden drafted sure. this season. Sure. But Stenberg might get into the mix. I can see him like playing his way up there. He was, I think, he was second in the tournament in scoring. Look, a very well-rounded player. He can. He's a better skater than Carlson, but doesn't have his size. So that might be the one thing that might that could get him there. 
Uh, but yeah, he's you know competitive. He he has skill. He he can, he can shoot puck very well. Uh, overall, very impressive. He's only five foot eleven though, so that's the one kind of deterrent on him. But, but I thought Stenberg played really well. Theo Lindsting from Sweden played well up until the medal round games. I think he even got kind of benched in stretches there in the gold medal game. But 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 he was one of the leading scores among defensemen in the tournament. I think he had a four or five point game at one point in the tournament. You know, he's got good mobility, good hockey sense, average size. So, I mean, not a premium defense prospect, but it, again, we're looking for defensemen. He he is one of them. With Stenberg, I, th- I think you made the note in your Halinka recap. Like, it was a guy who early in the tournament I thought was was really grabbing my attention, and and maybe in that and it, it's tough to it gets tougher. The tournament only gets tougher. Certainly in the gold medal game against Canada, I didn't feel like he was quite as involved in the action. Maybe that's just the the preponderance of talent that Canada brings to the ice, and it's, it's tough to break through. Um, sure. But I, I did feel like, you know, whereas early in the tournament, it felt like he always had the puck and it was always a dangerous opportunity. Maybe those were fewer and farther between later on, but that can kind of be how it goes when, when you're, you know, the guy who's tasked with overcoming this, this group of, of talent. Right. Like you just, the issue is you just kind of go down that lineup and it's such, such a murderer's row and you start saying, okay, well, is he better, really better than, you know, Ethan Gauthier or Carson Redkoff or, 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 or Kale Lynn, like these are guys he's being matched up with uh, constantly, and he has to outperform them every shift. So, and I don't just don't think he did that in, in that game. The shot was what popped for me, though. I mean, it, it was the shot, and it was just the the instinct. I think he was always putting himself in dangerous spots. I thought that was uh, really impressive. One guy I don't know if we talked about yet: the Czech goaltender. I know you put him in your observation list. Rabal, am I saying that right? Rubble, yeah. Rubble. I mean, this is a guy who people are going to want to get to know because coming out of this, he may be the, the early favorite to be the top goalie in the class. Yeah, I think Scott Ratzlaff was the best goalie in the tournament in terms of just how he played, but he's six foot O as opposed to Rubble being six foot six. So I think there's going to be a little bit more NHL interest in him. And yeah, I, mean, I think he, you know, the USA outplayed Czechia in, in their round robin game. And I thought Rubble was a big reason why they won that game and why they won the game versus Finland as well. I mean, it was a very impressive tournament by him overall. And I, I think he enters the conversation now as the best goalie in this upcoming draft class. You know, if we held the draft right now, I would guess he'd be a second round pick. And and he's going to play in the United States this season. So, I think, you know, he's going to be a guy we'll be talking about a lot this coming year. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, let's go now into the other rather big tournament taking place this month in Alberta. And Corey, you'll have to let me know if, if you're officially a dual citizen by now after this this couple stretch. But uh, the, the Makeup World Juniors, it is going to cost us some of the more exciting names that we had hoped to see 
uh, last December at the tournament. We are not going to get a, a tournament of the big Slovaks, Yuri Slavkovsky and Simon Nemitz. We're going to lose out on Alex Holtz, William Eklund. The, the U.S., we're losing out on, on Jake Sanderson, Maddie Beniers. Canada, I mean, a just a, a ridiculous sum of talent that they're not bringing. You know, Shane Wright, Caden Gooley, Jake Neighbors, Owen Power, Cole Perfetti. Uh, who are you most sad to not see on the ice at this coming week? Oh, man. Gee, that's that's a loaded question. I, I think, obviously, I think Team Slovakia is the one that, that, that hurts the most. Because that would have been such a fun team to see what they could have done. They didn't win a game in the, in the initial tournament in December. But they, if if it wasn't for Jesper Wallstedt, they could have rolled over Sweden uh, in the game they played against them. And they had a, a real chance to win a medal, which is not something that Team Slovakia can do all that often in double IHF tournament, especially at the junior level. So I, I think that those are the ones that, that, that are tough to lose. I think I, my heart goes out to Owen Power, uh, who you know went back to school in part because he wanted to play in the World Junior. Uh, and he was just dominant in the little World Junior action he did get. So I think those are the ones that stand out to me. What uh, And we'll see in this 2022 World Junior version 2.0 who are the guys who, who stand out in their absence. Uh, but, but they are the tough ones to lose. You know what? I, I kind of wish that we were seeing Shane Wright at this tournament. And I know sure. it, it comes on the heels of, of this. You know, it, it could be this easy you know, narrative, the Shane Wright revenge tour, whatever you want to exactly. call it. That's what I'm missing out on because I think if he comes out and he sets the tone at that tournament and, and you could be a spring way right to making the Kraken roster. I, I get that's probably why he's skipping it is he wants to focus on that. Sure. But to me, that's the narrative that I wanted in this tournament. Oh yeah. That would have been so fun from a draft perspective of if you had Uri Slavkowski, Simon Nemich, Shane Wright, and Logan Cooley all at this tournament uh, and you can kind of, you know, obviously Cutter Goche isn't here, but you could have you have David Yurchek here as well. You could have had some really fun post hoc draft debates that would obviously, you know, it's one tournament, but it, it would have been would have been fun to talk about regardless. It would have been, it, and so that, yeah, that's so that's a shame. But we will see. You know, there's new storylines that emerge in, in its place, and I, I think we're already starting to see some of those uh, play out. And, and I think on the, the Canadian team, especially, we talk about the guys they subtract. You know, especially if you're a fan of a team who I always think this is interesting when, when a team drafts a Canadian player, you, you might get a first rounder and, and they're not a guarantee to make Team Canada. Right. And and now, you know, these prospects that you want to see fans are well, well aware of that right now. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, but now some, some new guys are going to get elevated here. And I think we're already starting to see based on the lines coming out of practice, you know, a guy like Josh Wah is going to get a big stage here now to, to show who he is on, on the international level. Right, he's he's currently lined up on the top line with Mason McTavish and Connor Bedard after being one of the best players in the Cuban JHL last season, and a late cut from the December team. We'll see whether he sticks up there or not. Whether they move Ken Johnson or Brennan Othman to that spot as the as, as the tournament progresses, but he will get an opportunity early on uh, to be an important player for this team. Uh, down the lineup a little bit, you know, it, it's Nathan Gaucher was a guy who jumps out to me as, as having, you know, jumped in and made this roster as someone who wouldn't have been there in the winter. And I think that's an interesting dynamic, but he comes in as, as a, you know, very physically mature player. I think this is the kind of guy you can immediately see what his role on this team is going to be. Um, and I think that's a really cool storyline in its own way is, is the guy who wasn't supposed to be here. Can he be a make or break player for them? Right. He is the only 
player who was a first-year draft eligible on Team Canada now in, in Shane Wright's absence. Uh, he's probably going to be on the fourth line, probably more of a penalty killer, you know, lower in the lineup. But if he can provide secondary offense, that would be big for that team. I think you looked at this lineup. There's, there's guys who are supposed to be here who are going to be also playing significant roles. You look at Brandon Offen, William DeFore in, in the top nine, Tyson Forster, uh, who, who was injured in the middle of the season, comes in and, and plugs into the top six, will be a big part of the Canadian power play. Uh, you look on the on the blue line, Donovan Sabrango and Ryan O'Rourke's roles uh, shoot up the lineup and expected to play important minutes. Ryan O'Rourke was one of the best defensemen in the OHL last season. So I, I think, you know, just these are all excellent hockey players. It's not the lineup you envisioned uh, in the winter. I mean, you look at hell, Logan Stankov is going to be the second-line center on this team. He was kind of a peripheral 12th, 13th forward, if I recall, on the December team. So things have changed, but it's still going to be an excellent team, Canada. And that starts at the top. Obviously. Like we're talking about a lot of the guys who are playing down the lineup for them: sure. Mason McTavish, Kent Johnson, uh, Connor Bedard. Those are the headliners of this team here, right? And they may end up. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if two of those three end up on the the all tournament team by the end of this. Yeah, I think those, are, especially McTavish and Johnson, are your favorites to be the scoring leaders in the tournament. I don't know if Bedard's gonna gonna do that. I mean, he is gonna get a premium role, and he's a hell of a player. But but I mean, he's you know he's getting young young players in 05 and in 02 tournament, but don't put anything past Connor Bedard. I understand that part. He was one of the scoring leaders in this I, tournament I, earlier I, when he I, was younger and there were more high-end players here. I, I know. Now, mind you, they did play like – I think it was like Austria was their first game or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's fair. It, it, but, but I get what you're saying. He's in, the, he's in the mix. Just You don't usually bet on the 16-year-old to be the leading scorer in a tournament, no matter how special they are. I'll make it my bold prediction. He finishes top five in tournament scoring. All right. I like it. Uh, I yeah, I probably would take the under on that, but uh, it's not unreasonable. All right, uh, Team USA. Obviously, this is a, a team that comes into this, you know, without Beniers and Sanderson, but but very very talented still. I think that the question mark is going to be for them in goal. But when I was at their camp uh, a couple weeks ago, the thing that stood out to me is the depth on their blue line. It, it starts at you know Luke Hughes. They have a superstar at the top, but you looked at the way that, that Wyatt Kaiser was skating. Brock Faber, I thought, was one of the best players at the camp. Sure. This is going to be the strength of Team USA, and and that's without Jake Sanderson. Yeah, I think this is a very you know it's a very good group of players, and I would argue if with this skater group, if they had at least even a decent starting goalie, I would say they could push Team Canada to be, to be the number one team in this tournament. Maybe the skater group isn't exactly as deep, but the high end is is right there, or at least or at least close to it when you look at the, at their top players. And Cooley's a little bit younger, so that that might be something you have to get to adjust for. But but Luke Hughes, I expect to be one of the best players in the tournament. But man, that goalie situation is it, it's it's a problem. You saw it in, in the pre-tournament game against Finland, where they where they outshot them by a significant margin. I believe they lose five two for that reason. I presume it'll be either Caden Embarico or Andrew Oak will be the starting goalie. I think it's Embarico. Uh, but you have three undrafted goaltenders. Uh, and Barrico's not the biggest player. It's going to be a struggle for Team USA, in all likelihood. Although I'd love to be surprised. Uh, up front, I, I think you know Cooley obviously is going to steal the show here. But this is a very Team USA mix, right? Like a lot of guys who who are going to be able to go north south for you, energy game, and you mix Charlie Stramel into that bunch. And I think sure. that you know the dynamic that he will bring. That's one of the most interesting guys off the hop to, uh, for me because he, he's going to he's going to be one of the youngest guys this tournament. He's also going to be probably the most physical guy at this tournament. And one guy I'm excited to see is Thomas Bordalo. 
Uh, oh, yeah. If you really rewind the clock and go back to the World Junior Star, the World Junior Star Showcase in, in summer of 2021, he was outstanding at, at that level, playing against Team Sweden and Team Finland. He looked pretty dominant. Um, so I'm excited to see what he can do at this tournament. You know, that probably, as narratives go, would be the best one, is that Bordalo, who was robbed of, of so many consecutive international tournaments, seemed like he wasn't ever going to get a World Junior uh, comes back in and, and is one of the best players of this tournament. That, as narratives go, that's probably the one I'd I'd like to see play out here. Right. So he had he had the two World Juniors due to COVID issues, um, with 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 his own personal COVID issues, and then he lost his U eighteen World Championship, uh, due to the tournament being canceled. Um, with Cooley Corey, I mean, he's a guy who you know we obviously know how dynamic he can be, and I think you know even at the in the December tournament, you were seeing flashes of that. Uh, he's one of the guys who I look at this as as he can it can benefit him the most that if this tournament got pushed back, he got a little bit older. I think for the younger guys that helps immensely. I now look at him and say he should be one of the best forwards at this tournament. I think even in the December tournament, the brief December tournament. With the one tournament game they played and the one pre-tournament game, he was one of USA's best players. I could easily see him come into this tournament and, and be a leading player on this team. With with how well he skates and how hard he competes, I could even though he's several years behind the age group, I could see a scenario where he is one of the best players that's in this tournament. And we, we think he's going to play in, in some combination, maybe both Matthew Nyes and Matt Coronado, or at times with, with one of them. I think those are really good complementary players for him, guys who will be around the net to, to either clean up or, or play a give-and-go game with him. Uh, I, I think they're really good complements to him, and I think that will be the line. How about Matt Nyes going to two World Juniors and, and an Olympics in the same season? Yes, that is unbelievable. And you know, he's a guy who I, I know Toronto fans are really excited about, and, and, and for good reason. I mean, I saw him... Down at the at the USA camp where we where we wait to do interviews, you know, players are often walking by, going to different equipment yeah. rooms, training rooms. His neck is like you know offensive lineman thick. Like this guy is absolutely built, uh, and so I'm curious to see. You know, I, I think he can be one of those guys who has that physical finesse blend. Yeah, Faber and, and Luke Hughes are also two guys who play a ton of international hockey. Faber also doing the two World Juniors and the Olympics, and and Luke Hughes went to the World Championships. And Faber obviously will be the captain of that team, and and I'm sure uh, you know Minnesota Wild fans will be very excited to see their new prospect. Uh, I, 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 I love that picture that always gets circulated of Brock Faber at a Wild game cheering for <laughs> Kirill Kaprizov goal. It's 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 that's amazing. It's such a wholesome picture, but it's. You know, it puts in perspective that this guy's still a kid, but he's going to be an NHL player very soon. Absolutely. Sweden and Finland. So, so Finland's really bringing back, by and large, the same group of guys, the same big names, certainly. Joachim Kemel, Ronnie Hervonen, Topi Nimela, uh, Vili Koivinen, Kasper Simantaival. They're bringing in Atu Ratu. We'll see on Brad Lambert's health. But this is probably the team that's maybe the least affected by, by the pushback. And, and we know how dangerous Finland is in every international tournament. Not only are they the least affected, they might be the only team here that's actually better on paper than, <laughs> than they were in December. <laughs> because they have their first line center back now, uh, who had to be ruled out due to COVID protocols in December. Uh, so they're uniquely situated in that regard. Yeah, they are. And, and I think, you know, in, in goal that, you know, it's strong for them in goal. Like it, it's just, I just have such a hard time ever going against Finland international play that they find a way. And this year, I think they have some of the, the, the upper prospects too, that, that I think make them a, a dark horse to win this tournament. I don't know if they're going to win it. I think in the, the pre-tournament game versus Sweden, 
Uh, I wouldn't say they significantly outplayed it, even though they had all their all their guys back. The, the, I thought the shot calls were pretty close. Uh, if Levi Merrillion is big, I think they're they're in the middle round mix for sure. Uh, he didn't have a great year in Kingston, the Ontario Hockey League, but he's been very good for this U twenty team uh, when he's played for them. So I think that that goaltending is going to be a big variable for them, as it is for every team. You look at you look at Team USA; it's a big question. Jesper Wallstedt's going to need to steal games for Sweden uh, to, to win this championship. And, and for Canada, you know, we'll see what, how Dylan Guerin, Sebastian Kosa, et cetera, play. Well, let's talk about that for a second because I think, especially in December, when it when it seemed like Kosa might even have been the number three goalie for Team Canada in that tournament, I know Red Wings fans here in Detroit were a little panicked there, and, and it doesn't. It looks like Guerin is probably the, the one still here. We'll see how it all shakes out. Things can change in, in a tournament. Like, how worried would you be if you're a Red Wings fan about Kosa not? grabbing this and being the number one for for Canada. Well, Sebastian Kosa, you know, did play better in the playoffs, I thought. And I think, you know, he, we're recording this before the pre-tournament game versus Sweden. It looks like he's going to play in that game. So I'm guessing he's the projected number two right now on this team. Dylan Guerin was the CHL goalie of the year. I have no issues with him being the starting goalie. I mean, he's a better pro prospect, but I have no issues with him being the, the starting goalie in this type of tournament. Uh, I'm a little concerned with Kosa's here. I mean, there's, there's no. He didn't have a good. He had a big year. You can't like run away from that. Even though his playoffs, I thought he was much better. I still think he's an excellent pro prospect, though. You have that kind of length and athleticism. I, I think he's still a, a pretty high end athlete. I, I don't hate the hockey sense. They don't love it this, as much as I did this time last year. But I still think this is a guy who could be an NHL starting goaltender. Uh, but yeah, the, the he, he may not be the type of prospect I thought of at this time last year. Yeah, I think that's just what it comes down to. Is it's there? There's just different expectations when when you spend a first rounder on a goalie, fair or unfair. You know that that that's how it goes. And he's always going to be compared with Jesper Wallstedt, who sure. super super different circumstances, but I think was probably the guy at this tournament in December. That in short sample, we were coming out of this like, holy crap, this guy's really good, and 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 that's a reality. He was really good in the pre-tournament game I watched versus Finland as well, and he had a great year in Sweden. So I I understand that, and. I, I, th- I think Wallstedt is a guy you expect going in to be the goalie of the tournament, but but we'll see how the next 10 days play out. Yeah. Uh, Slovakia, you know, we talk about teams getting hit hard and, and you lose, you know, two, actually the top two picks in, in this past NHL draft, uh, Slavkovsky and Nemitz. There will be another guy for, for Slovak fans and NHL fans to key in on here, and that's Dalibor Dvorsky. Uh, but I think if you're Slovakia, you're pretty bummed to, to lose out in a tournament with both of those two guys. And Philip Meshar, another first That's round right. pick. Martin yep. Kromiak, not a, maybe a top prospect, but he was been he was an excellent junior player. Scored a lot of goals and points in the OHL this season. I mean, yeah, their their team has just just been killed by by this being pushed back. I was at the pre tournament game where they were playing Germany and they barely squeaked by them, and it just that just shows how things have changed over the last six months for them. And Dalibor Dvorsky is going to be a go-to player for this team. He was running their first power play, top two-line center on, on this team. Adam Sakura, who kind of played a lower role on this team, will be playing a bigger role uh, after the, the Rangers' second-round pick on him played the World Championships, was was good in the Slovakian playoffs. And uh, maybe a down-the-line prospect, Jakub Nemec for the Vegas Golden Knights, fourth-round pick, was pretty good in the WHL. I, I think he's a guy who's kind of trending up a little bit. I think he's going to play a big role at this tournament. Uh, but, uh, yes, I think all eyes are on uh, Dvorsky and the defenseman Sturback, who I think could be a top two or three-round pick in the upcoming draft. 
Anything you want to say on, on, on Czechia, Switzerland, any other teams? I know we're watching David Juracek. We, we won't see Leon Bischel, who, who's not at this tournament. Any thoughts, though, on, on any of the other teams? Well, I'm going to be really curious to see how Juracek does here. I mean, I, in the little action he did get before that, that really significant knee injury, he was looking really good in the December tournament. And, uh, all credit to him for, for coming back and playing this, and playing this tournament. Uh, so, so we'll see how he does. The, the Switzerland cut of Leon Bischel is... Quite interesting. So for the context of why Bischel, the Dallas Stars first round pick, is not here, uh, there was kind of like the, these pre-tournament tune-up games in Finland where Switzerland, Czechia, and, and Finland were playing some, you know, some exhibition games with their U-20 teams. Uh, Lee and Bischel asked to opt out of those games. Um, his representative cite, you know, his long season, and he's tired, etc., uh, the Switzerland under twenty team had a different perspective. They said, "We know we are not. We don't give you know special circumstances. We want everyone to start together. It's very important." Uh, they didn't come to an agreement, and thus Lien Bischel was cut from the Switzerland under twenty team, despite being by far their best player. Um, and and that kind of leaves this team crippled a little bit in terms of talent. Uh, so we'll see how they do uh, after that. All right, prediction time here. I, I know we. I, I don't even remember what either of us predicted for the December tournament, but it almost doesn't matter with how many guys are out. Uh, let's get your your gold, silver, bronze, and your all tournament team prediction. Gold's boring, but going to say Canada. Silver USA, and bronze. Uh, yeah, it was between Sweden and Finland. And Finland did win the pre-tournament game between the between the two of them. So I'm going to go with the Finns taking bronze. All right. And how about your all-tournament team? All right. Mason McTavish, Kent Johnson. Let's see if I can think of anything that would be really interesting from a non-Canadian perspective. I'll say Atu Ratu. So I'm giving the Finns the, yep. the bronze. Maybe he has a he has a big he has a big day, big week. Sorry. From the defense perspective, I'm going to go with Luke Hughes and Simon Edvinson. And the goaltender would be Jesper Wallstedt. All right. Well, I, I'm going to have to agree with your entire all-tournament team. So that's boring podcast. Uh, but I will take uh, Canada, Finland, Sweden to medal, uh, fading my my home nation here. Uh, that's, the, the goalie is a question. The goalie is a question. And, and I just – at the end of the day, it's a, it's a single elimination tournament. It, it's right. It's it, it's not going to be the, the, the three best teams, although I guess it, it could be. Uh, I, I love the United States blue line, and that's probably the uh, the thing that gives me the most pause. But I will take Canada, Finland, Sweden in that order, one, two, three. Uh, and, and I think that checks out with the all-tournament team. All right, Corey, let's wrap up with a mailbag today here. Uh, some good ones to start off. We're going to go with uh, Logan Horn, who says, Play driving has become a bit of a buzzword in hockey evaluation circles. Can you give your definition of what play driving means with an example of, of or two of or two actual hockey plays where you notice it? I thought this was a great question because I use this word and I know what I think it means, but I do sometimes wonder when I read other people use it if I'm using it incorrectly. Play driving to me is mostly about possession, I think, but possession in a way that leads to good results. It's not just circling around with the puck in the in the in your defensive zone. To me, it's controlled exits and entries, uh, controlled entries that lead to scoring chances. Uh, it's why you typically don't describe players who are below average skaters yep. as play drivers because they can't 
gain the blue line with control. Um, and and it's why you don't typically describe guys who don't have skill as play drivers, because even if they can gain because even if they can gain the blue line with control, they can't do anything once they get in there. So that's my understanding of it. I use it to mean the person who's kind of dictating what's happening on the ice, right? Like it, it's the guy who, you know, is making that backdoor pass. He's setting up a play with his feet, with his brain, whatever it might be. I, I agree with you. Transition is a big part of that because if you're dictating, you're putting the puck in the other team's zone, getting it out of your zone. But to me, that's what it means. And so I, I think those examples you use in exits entries, um, and then I would add just kind of like passes into dangerous areas or shots that sure. you self-generate. The dictating is kind of how I use it to mean someone who's who's controlling what's happening on the ice. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, Tyler Blazinski, realistically, how quickly do you see a Nemitz-Hughes pairing for the New Jersey Devils by the end of this season, starting next year, possibly? That feels a little ambitious to me, especially you're talking about, you know, Luke Hughes isn't even going to get there until the end of the season, and, and Nemitz, uh, I, I don't think, would be there by, by the end of this season. Right, you imagine they would want some veterans playing with these kids, even in their first bowling seasons, which will probably be the 2023-2024 season. I do wonder how all these guys are going to kind of play together because Luke Hughes is more of an offensively tilted guy. I think he can defend. He's a big. He's a bigger defenseman than the elite skater, but he, I would argue he's more offensively than defensively tilted. Simon Nemich is offensively tilted. Dougie Hamilton's offensively tilted. So I, I really do wonder how all of these guys are going to come together when they are eventually in the same lineup. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I think what it ultimately comes down to is I think it ends up as like a Hughes-Hamilton and then – what what they traded for John Marino this offseason. I think that's really interesting because now Nemitz can slot in probably start as your three. So you're probably playing probably like a Siegenthaler Marino second pair. And then I don't know if it's, you know, Nemitz Severson or if you're going Nemitz Graves. Graves. Yeah, they they've got some some puzzle pieces they can move around in the coming years. Your Severson may not be here anymore by the time Nemitz is is there so uh or, or one of him or graves i should say so i i think those are uh they're all they're all interchangeable pieces but you're probably going to have one of those puck moving types with one of those more physical shutdown defensive types my instinct is severson walk just because that's a lot of right shots yep yep i think that's fair and, and so then maybe you're playing with graves and i think that works very well uh complimentary wise but new jersey's you know the way that they've built that blue line i think is gonna is gonna work in, in a couple years all right, next one is from uh, Vince Zisso. Uh, Wright took a fall on draft day. How likely do you think someone could take or could overtake Bedard at the top of the ladder? Uh, oh boy, Corey, you ready? You ready for this for this one yet in this draft cycle? Uh, yeah, no, it, it's a good question. It's actually something that when I was at the link, a couple of scouts and I were, were talking about just because of how what happened in this previous draft season. But what would it take for this scenario to play out? I think what there are some distinct differences. For first in the Shane Wright scenario, even though he was the consensus one coming in, he was always a consensus one with a little bit of, eh, he hasn't, you know, it's not the most exciting toolkit. We wrote about this in the preseason articles we were talking about. It's not the most exciting toolkit because it's just a really well-rounded player, etc. Whereas I think with Bedard, you're talking about how exciting a player he is. You're talking about this dynamic, skill, sense, elite goal-scoring uh, player. Uh, if you really want to start picking the part. He's not that big. The frame is not, you know, that, that sturdy. He's a good skater. He's not this elite small guy skater. So those are the things you can pick him apart on. But in terms of finding an alternative, that's kind of where it gets a little dicier. I think 
if someone was going to overtake him, it would be someone like an Adam Fantilli that just had like an absolute monster year at Michigan. Not just a good year. He would need to have like a Eichel. Jack Eichel yeah. type year, essentially, to get close to what I think Bedard is going to do this year. The question I was asking a lot of people at, at Valenka was, what do you do if Mitchkov has a monster year? And like Bedard has a pretty good year, but it, it's not the monster year. Like Lafreniere from here. year. Well, Lafreniere had a huge year, I would argue, but but it's it's more along the lines of like, yeah, he has a he has a great year, you know, you know, whatever it is, 120, 30 points, whatever it is, huge year by any standards. But then Mitchkov just has like one of the greatest years ever by a Russian draft eligible, comparable to whatever where Malkin and Ovechkin and Kovalchuk were going into their drafts, or even better, something along those lines. I'm not saying he will, but just hypothetically, if that happened, what would you do? And a lot of the people I talked to are like, yeah, I'd still take Bedard, <laughs> but because he's a center, he's Canadian. Well, Mitchkov's got three years on the contract. You, 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 could, you could sign him right away. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it would take, I think, quite a set of circumstances for that to happen. But it's August, and I always love to say trying to predict a draft a year out is very difficult, and it's no better time to say that after what just happened a few weeks ago. No, no doubt. And I, that's kind of the funny thing to me is that this is the obvious one. Like we, people kind of, uh, I don't know what the word, accused us of manufacturing kind of a horse race uh, for a little while toward the end of this draft last year. This should be a really organic horse race between two just potentially elite NHL scorers and Bedard and Mitchkov. Um, but it already seems like the just the fact that, and not for, for good reason, the contract alone takes robs us of that immediately. And, and now we might have to manufacture one. We'll see. Yeah, no, I mean, we'll see how Fantilli does also. I, I think for now there's a, there's a gap between the two of them, uh, but we'll see what happens when the season uh, actually starts. And yes, you're right. There were quite a lot of people accusing us of manufacturing a horse race. Hell, there were our own colleagues at The Athletic <laughs> were telling me. <laughs> on the I show, was, right? They, they came out on the show and did it. <laughs> on the show, like like in our, like in our you know, when we went out before the draft, like the night before that I was hearing that, it was <laughs> – it was quite interesting. <laughs> well, we'll see how it plays out uh, this time around. Yankees and Penguins uh, says, is Braden Yeager a top five pick in next year's draft? I thought this was a good one to tie back to our Halinka conversation because Yeager was one of the best players of this tournament. Sure. And yet when you, when you look at the top five, I think he's got a chance to be there. But I, I'm already looking and there might only be one or two names here that are still up for grabs in that top five. You know, we're, we're going to see how these years play out. I don't think that you can say Fintilli is a stone cold lock for this just no. yet. And uh, I don't think Benson is either, especially at his size. He didn't have a huge tournament. He's a good skater. He's not an incredible skater. I think the 5'9", 5'10"-ish frame is going to yep. scare some people off. Yeah, I don't think – I think there are spots up for grab. And I think Jaeger is in that conversation. I would still have Benson over him after what after his incredible year last year, but Jaeger's right there. I think the only deterrent on him is five eleven center. I say this after a five ten center just went third overall yep. in, in, in Logan Cooley, but he is extremely dynamic. I'm not sure Jaeger rises to that level of of dynamic ability, even though he's he's a, he's a great hockey player. But somebody has to go to the top five, and and I would say he's in the mix. When we talk about the defenseman, you know, is it, are you really not going to have one defenseman go in the top five? I think you are. Yeah, just by history. So I'm not sure I do it yet, but let's just say we got – so we have whatever it is. Bedard, Mitchkov, Infantili and some order, and then Cam Allen somewhere in there. That leaves one spot. And, you know, it could be Jaeger. It could be Benson. 
I think Callum Ritchie is not far away from that conversation. You know, we see what happens with Edward Saleh or some of the some of the Americans. There are what some, if Stramel puts up a Brady Kachuk year? Charlie Stramel's in in that mix. I think there's some big Will Smith proponents out there. I'm not there yet on him, but you, but we'll we'll see where we are this time next year. And and of course, we got a whole season to play and see if there's 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 a player like a Uri Slavkovsky who just wins our hearts over over the coming months absolutely i mean i, I was kind of trying to count them because i think i think on the broadcast i think craig, craig button and uh and his broadcast partner were making a joke about how he had 12 guys in the top five and, and button went ah maybe i get to 13 and 13 top five picks in this draft uh i i think there really is kind of an element of that where the the, the top 10 to 12 of this of this class going into the year looks like it could be really fun to watch sort itself out yeah, especially from a four perspective, I would even throw Nate Danielson in there. I forgot to mention yeah. him. He's 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 in he's in that mix. But Dvorsky. yeah, no, I mean, Dvorsky. Yeah, I think Dvorsky would be the guy I would pick of that bunch right now uh, to be the the next one. But again, we have a whole year to play out before we get to pick who they actually are. Uh, Mitchell Pearson says, what is PDO? Uh, I, I just thought this was a good opportunity because I, I don't know if we've touched on it on, on our show a ton, but I, I know people sometimes feel like we're talking over them uh, when we just throw this stuff in without no explanation. PDO is basically the it's the sum of on-ice shooting percentage and on-ice save percentage, and it gets used as a proxy for luck. Uh, usually you find that those two things will average out over time. Um, I forget what the exact numbers for each are, but usually they combine to be about 100. And so if the number that you're getting on the ice, or, well, one, yeah, a thousand, you're right, uh, about a thousand. And so if the number that you're getting uh, is is over a thousand, but significantly, you know, if, if you're at a thousand and ten or whatever, uh, you're probably getting aided by luck. And if it's if it's below, you, you're probably on the short end of the stick, which is usually more so just for like plus minus and stuff, which I know people is, is not really that important of a stat anyway. But it can kind of tell you when a guy's had, um, you know, an unusual amount of help from either his teammates or his goalies on the ice and, and how that affects his, his numbers. Uh, so I just thought that was a good nuts and bolts one to answer here. Uh, next one is from John D, who says, I hope Corey and Max will begin to draw questions from this thread again rather than just Twitter. What do you think, Corey? Should we draw questions from from that thread? So what you're talking about is when we so, – so for some of the behind-the-scenes logistics in terms of how we get this mailbag – uh, the day before we record the podcast, I will do a post asking for questions. I post it both on my Twitter and I dual post it onto the athletic app in the what's called the real time section, which can be viewed both on the website and on the app on your home page. So you will see it there and we take our questions from there. And sometimes Max and I divvy up the responsibilities of who collects the questions. But sometimes if I don't, we don't get to the questions because it's my fault. And sometimes it's Max's fault. So, a lot of time is my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we do take questions from both. We do. And we have a lot here. And we already actually had a lot here before we saw John's. Uh, but just for John, uh, here here we go from, from the briefs. Derek J says, what don't the Wild like about Kalen Addison? Their blue line has a bunch of older guys on cheap deals. And here is this guy who could ignite the power play. What am I missing? Uh, you know, I, I don't know that we need to say the Wild don't like Kalen Addison, but but I'll reframe this a little bit as why hasn't Kalen Addison broken through onto the Wild yet? In your opinion, small defenseman, and I think his defense, I think his defending was a little bit better this year versus pros. Shows some physicality that I haven't always seen from him, but uh, it's just small defenseman and issues on issues in his own end have kind of been historically the issue. And you know, this is a team that has. You know, already Jared Spurgeon on the team. Yep. 
Matt Dumba is a really hard player, but he's not exactly the biggest right shot defenseman in the world either. So I can understand a coach looking at their team and be like, you know, how many of these guys do I really want on my team? I think Addison eventually takes Dumba's spot on this team. I'm presuming they, they can't get Dumba re-signed there, but if he did, things things change. But that's... I love Kalen Addison. I think he's going to be a big part. Keep in mind, the Water one of the highest scoring teams in the NHL last season. That was not an easy lineup to crack at any position. But I do think Addison, with time, will become uh, a notable part of that wild lineup. Uh, next one is from Jeff A., who says, Among the bottom four teams in the Atlantic, who do you think is most likely to pass Boston this season if the Bruins' injuries lead to a poor start? And likewise, whose rebuild among those same bottom four Atlantic teams is best positioned to have long-term success three to four years from now? Big question. I don't know that we need to to go super duper in depth here, but gut feeling for me when I read this, the answer might be Ottawa to both. My my feeling on the longer term, I I really do like what Buffalo is starting to put together now and the three first round picks this year helped that a lot. So maybe I would say that Ottawa this coming year and, and Buffalo in three to four years. But what do you think? It's probably between Ottawa and Detroit in terms of the teams that can pass. I mean, Detroit added as much free agency. Yep. You like you like what the stuff the young guys are taking. Presume Sider and Raymond are going to be important players on that team going forward. You know, maybe Joe Valeno takes a step forward. Maybe Evanson makes the team and helps in a in a, in a semi notable manner. Um, but Ottawa, yes, and they're taking they're taking steps. They're not only they're young, but they added a lot. Obviously, adding someone like an Alex to bring it and several others in the off season is going to help that team a lot. Um, but yeah, long term, it would be close between those two and Buffalo for me. I, I I think Buffalo's young talent overall looks the best, but but they don't have the veterans there. Yep. Whereas I think you look at Detroit and Ottawa, their young talent maybe lags behind. You know, is at least right close to them, if not. And but they have better veteran players. I mean, you know, they just Buffalo doesn't have say you know the Dylan Larkin of the world do on, on their roster yet. Yeah, they don't. And, and and you know what? What's interesting to me is the Detroit's even younger players are kind of a little more proven. Like we don't know. It may well be that that Owen Power uh, is as good as Moritz Sider and, and, and that would be a huge piece. But I think until you see it, it does get a little harder to project it three, four years down the line. You want to see it play out that way too. So I think yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, I think Buffalo fans are probably excited. You know, we'll, we'll see what Peyton Krebs, Jack Quinn, J.J. Paterka, we'll see what those guys can do in the NHL this season. But there's it's, 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 it's a lot of unproven talent right now probably want one more top center and really an offensively dynamic center in buffalo to feel really good but i just think about the wings there with with quinn paterka savoy uh you know uh coolich and, and then obviously osum will come up and i, I think you, you know you, you don't like tage thompson dylan cousins as like a top two line center of the future i like them as, as as good centers for the future i don't know that that's you know a, a contender's top two centers but i could be proven wrong and i think if if Tidge thompson does what he did last year again maybe i'm more apt to believe it I, i'm guessing that's going to end up being the high water mark for him did he score 40 sure. goals last year it wasn't 40 but i think it was over 30 yeah i mean i, I think it was close to 40 at, at you know by the end of the season so and, and i just think you know dylan cousins i think is going to probably be like a, a 60 point really good player yeah 38 for thompson man that's really good um, so maybe it is, maybe I'm underrating that. I mean, he's, he's not an old player by any means. He's only 24 years old. So maybe I am underrating that a little bit. Uh, next one is Kin K who says, what does the Pacific division look like in two years ranked by team, rank the division best to worst, no wrong answers. Two years from now, make a few dreams and kill a few others. 
I kind of like that. Uh, eight teams, Corey. Two years from now, what does the Pacific Division look like? Do you, you need do you know the teams off the top of your head, or do you want me to read them to you? I gotta imagine Edmonton's still the best team. Yep. I think that there's it's just hard to imagine that changing. They have those guys locked up. They're they're important players locked up, and they have some young players coming. I think that's a team that will be at, at the top. The question then is, who's number two? Is it Calgary? Is it Vegas? Is it? Vancouver, Vancouver is it is it Los Angeles? You know, I like what Anaheim is building right now, but two years is probably not the time frame where they where where they become contenders. Right there, from from what I can see right now, um, my lean would be. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Los Angeles. I have a lot of questions too about like what is Vancouver's direction going to be here, and I think a lot of this hinges on what are they doing with JT I, Miller. I, I, I have questions on Vancouver's direction, and I have questions on San Jose's direction. Too. Yeah, like, yeah, like what, those those seem like franchises that are kind of just middling in the middling around. Essentially, they're not tanking, but they're not exactly excelling. They have average systems at the moment. It's it's unclear to me, you know. And obviously, Vancouver. We're going to see what happens with JT Miller and Bo Horvat too going forward. I, I I would feel a lot better predicting Vancouver if I knew kind of what the defense was going to look like. Because even regardless of what happens with JT Miller, I do think, you know, that they got one of the steals of the draft of the first round in, in getting Lickermaki where they did last season. I, I think that's more talent in the pipeline. I think already I saw a projection of their lineup the other day that had Nils Hoaglander on their fourth line, which tells you a little bit about the depth that they're starting to build on the wing. We didn't mention him earlier in the conversation, but I saw Lickermaki in the pre-tournament game against Finland. He was outstanding. For an, for an 0-4 playing in an 0-2 tournament, he was he stood out. Like, he looks like he's a really good player. Yeah, and, and so you get him on the way. You got Demko in place. Like to me, I I feel like I want to feel better about Vancouver and where they're at, but I I think it's the blue line that, that keeps me guessing. So yeah, I, I guess if we're gonna rank them, uh, who did you say was two? You said Los Angeles. I begrudgingly said Los Angeles. Cause I don't feel confident about that one. And then is Calgary three for you still by that point? It'd be either Calgary or Vegas, but yeah, I would lean to Calgary. Okay, and then Vegas, Vancouver, Anaheim, Seattle, San Jose. San Jose might be last. I don't know if they get the last, but it, it, their direction is confusing. It is. I, it, it, they're one of the bottom two there, and, and Seattle, I think, has signaled like you know they're they're starting to to spend a little bit on free agents. They're going to have these prospects, you know, continuing to develop. You know, in two years. Veneers and Wright are both going to be, you know, in their 20s and, and potentially really good young NHL centers. Uh, San Jose might be last for me there. Yeah, no, I, I can see it and we'll, and, we'll, and we'll see how it plays out. I'm also kind of conf- – I'm conflicted on Vegas's direction too, right? It's – they look like they should be a really good team. But you're kind of seeing the, the byproduct of how old they are starting to eat yep. away into their cap situation. Can they stay healthy? Can Eichel lead them to, to the promised land? I think those are all open questions right now. Even though I, I love Jack Eichel, I think he's when he when he's when he's healthy and he's on his game, he's one of the very very best players in the league. Uh, they don't really have much in their farm system right now. It's going to be interesting to see how what, what direction this team takes in the next few years. Yeah, and you know, two years from now, to your point, two years from now, Alex Petrangelo is going to be thirty four. Mark Stone's going to be thirty two. Man, that does get a little tougher to be really confident in them. You know playing at the level that, that we got used to seeing Vegas play at at the very beginning and and all of a sudden those splashy additions that they made 
it gets tough to, to balance those numbers that they're at. So I think that's a really good question uh, by, by Ken. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. You can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. It's going to start you with a 30-day free trial. And then, Corey, you're not going to believe this. It's just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Talk to you soon.